So the title of my sermon today, Trust the Process. Now some of you younger people or some fans of the NBA may be familiar with this phrase. Is anyone here familiar with Trust the Process? June, you're familiar. <laughs> Philadelphia 76ers, right? So I am not a basketball fan, okay? Uh, Alaska doesn't have a basketball team. Uh, my hometown of Seattle used to have a basketball team, uh, but I am not a fan of basketball. I am a bandwagon fan. Uh, I enjoy watching uh, the Golden State Warriors just because they just win all the time. So, you know, you feel good. Um, but basketball is not something that I'm really uh, confident in or a sport that I enjoy. Tonight at the gym night, you'll probably see a very uh, disorientated Pastor Tim running around the court uh, doing some weird things uh, because I am not a basketball player. Okay? But uh, one of the teams that I've been kind of interested in uh, because of our t a particular player uh, is from this team, the Philadelphia 76ers. And if you are any fan of the basketball NBA or anything like that, you would know that this team used to not be a good team at all, right? Terrible team, didn't really win anything, uh, terrible team. But there was a player on this team called Joel Embiid. Uh, I don't have, has anyone like kind of kept up with this guy? Okay, so maybe if you have, this guy is a troll, or in older people terms, this guy is a fool on the internet, right? So Joel Embiid, he posts a bunch of stuff, but every once in a while, he'll say on his like Instagram captions and whatnot, this phrase, trust the process, right? It's like hashtag trust the process. Um, and like I said, as you know, this team used to not be good. So as you know, this year they made the playoffs and they're like, you know, they're a potential winner of the Eastern Conference or whatever like that. I don't, I don't know any of the details, but anyways, uh, Starting the year 2013, this is when there was a shift and a change in their organization. This was a new era beginning in 2013. Uh, the 76ers organization hired a guy, the new general manager. Do you guys, does anyone know? I just, just this is not important, okay? His name is Sam Hinkie, okay? He's a cute name, okay? But he doesn't look like a cute guy. Okay, Sam Hinkie, right? He was about to change what was going to come for this organization. Quoting him, he said this, we talk a lot about process, not outcome, and trying to consistently take all the best information you can and consistently make good decisions. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't, but you reevaluate them all. So the key word here that I want to highlight that he says is process. And this is where trust the process started kind of uh, take trend, right? Yes, it may not make any sense. To cut your favorite player, your star player from the team, cutting people out and saying that we could get some younger rookies or whatever, but there's a process that needs to happen, and this general manager believed in that process very much. Now, many fans of the 76ers did not agree with what this guy was doing. Some were totally against his principle of cutting their favorite players and, and trading them away and getting you know picks and all this terrible stuff, and they were not getting very good vibes about this guy, Sam Hinkie. Uh, it was a long process, okay, since 2013, but a very long story short, the 76ers, like I said, they made the playoffs last year and they made the playoffs this year. I think they're like the fourth, or, or it's not over yet, but like fourth, fifth seed or something like that. So they're, they have a lot of potential this year, right? So, of course, during this rebuilding process, you have fans that are very upset and disappointed. They're not happy with the, things, the way things are going. And you have fans that complain because it's not what they want it to be. They're like, oh, I could be a better general man. I can choose better players. Like, what is this fool doing in our office, right? They're not winning. They're doing terrible. And people complain, 
right? And for me personally, uh, if you know me, my hometown is from Seattle. Uh, I grew up in Alaska, but I was born in Seattle, so I'm a fan of all Seattle things, right? So when it comes to like football, I'm a huge football fan. The back of my car has a Seahawks sticker on it. I love the Seahawks, but we were a terrible organization. We did nothing good. We won one Super Bowl and then everything fell apart, right? So uh, it was a very short-lived kind of you know, celebration in 2013 for my team. Uh, not doing well now, but anyways, as a fan, it's so important that we learn how to trust the process, just as Joel Embiid says and the 76ers says, right? To trust the leadership, to trust the decisions that are being made for the sake of the future, for the better team or for future success. And it's not easy. Sometimes it's hard to accept and sometimes it's something that we don't want to accept, right? In times of transition and in times of uncertainty, Right? Sometimes it's not easy to say that, yes, we can trust the process. Right? The process brings us times of doubt, times of maybe fear, and maybe also just a lot of questions more than answers. And so today I want to talk about how in our Christian walk, right, there is this ideal that there is a process that we need to learn to trust. And how we as Christians, when we are faced with uncertainty, with doubt, with fear, with questions, we can learn how to trust the process, right? So sometimes we wonder, why do we trust the process? We think that by trusting the process, it can take a lot of work, right? It's really draggy, it can become a burden. It's a very long process in itself. We live and we have grown in a society that has sadly, I think, fallen into this ideal of instant gratification. Do you guys know what that is? It's like, bam, cookies, bam, movie, bam. Right? Like instant gratification, things come immediately, right? That's the kind of society that we live in, right? It's all about the fastest, the shortcuts, you know, what's the quickest car you can buy or how fast can you get from point A to point B, right? That's the kind of society that we have grown and cultivated as people. Uh, because, and I think this is really sad, and one of the biggest reasons why I feel like this is a sad thing is because of that, we we don't really see the value of hard work and patience, uh, and it almost becomes as if it was a non-existent thing. Now, there's true value and benefit, like I said, and I'm gonna hopefully by the end of this prove to you that there is value and benefit when we learn how to trust the process. It's rare these days, and sadly, uh, we don't emphasize it. So if we're gonna emphasize it anywhere, we should emphasize it within our churches, right? So a while back, um, like a month ago or so, I was reading an article, just, just a random article, and it was really interesting because it was talking about how mountain climbers could save time and money and energy, right, if they just simply took a helicopter to the top of a summit, right? How nice would that be, right? Think about that, okay? Just like that, they could get in a helicopter and a trek that could take hours or even days could happen almost in like within like a few hours, right? It would be so nice to get in a helicopter, to simply fly to the top and just come back down, right? It's easy, there's no sweat, there's no pain, no hurting legs for days, you know, nothing bad, right? But the thing is, right, that's not the case. The ultimate purpose is not efficiency, it's conquest, it's the journey, right? It's not necessarily the end point for these hikers, it's the journey to get to that end point that makes it all worth it for them. That's where the value comes from. Getting to the top and seeing everything is like, okay, great, but the journey to get there changes everything. I'll show you a really quick story, and I think I shared it with some of the younger guys before. 
uh, I went on a hiking trip to, I think it's the second tallest peak in Southern California. I think it's San Bernardino Peak. It's like some 10,000 feet above sea level. And 10,000 feet above sea level is when you're on a plane and they say, you can take out your electronics now and use it, right? So I hiked that with a friend, not knowing it was that long, and it took us like eight hours to get to the top and back. And I just remember, the moment I got to the top and I got to see like above the clouds and see planes like flying at the same, like eye level with me, I was like, oh my gosh. This is so amazing, right? If I had simply taken a helicopter to the top, it would have been like, oh, pretty, come back down. You know, take pictures for Instagram and then come back down, right? But the process to get to the top was what made the top so much more worth it, right? You see, God could have easily created scientists, mathematicians, teachers, doctors, athletes, musicians from absolutely nothing. Just like one day, hey, I want you to be a musician. I want you to be a scientist, right? But God doesn't do it that way, right? God creates people who take on those roles over a long period of time and through a process, right? You see, God doesn't also make us like Christ as soon as we get baptized. We know that, right? When we go through baptism, it's not this instant like, oh, you are the holiest person in church, right? Or the, the sooner you're baptized, then the day after you're the most holiest compared to everyone else. It's not like that, right? The process of being born again and journeying, having a journey with Christ is a very long process. It's gradual. It may be long. It may take forever, but it's definitely not instant. And that's what I want to emphasize with you today. In our spiritual walk, in our journey, I'm sure many of you guys have experienced this as well. Some of you guys may know, like, after baptism, it's not easy, and your spiritual walk is bumpy, and there's a lot of ups and downs, right? I can testify to that myself, even as a pastor, right? It's not always happy. It's not always good experiences. We all understand that in your spiritual walk with Christ, it's more like a roller coaster than a, a train, right? There's a lot of ups and downs, but the process is something that needs to be trusted in all of that. So in our spiritual lives, we improve and we grow, uh, and we heal by how we handle our failures, our trials, and what we can learn from it. Only when we cultivate discipline, endurance, and patience that we can find ultimate satisfaction and reward for going through the process. But through this process, like I said, we may experience so many different painful moments, some difficult experience, painful moments of suffering that make us wonder and question why we need to be a part of this process. So number one, I just want to let you know, the process isn't all positive, right? There are moments of suffering. There will be moments of hurt. There will be moments of pain. But it's something that we learn to accept and how we approach these things changes everything in our walk. Now, today is not my attempt to be a philosopher and tell you, you know, why they're suffering in this world. And I'm sure some of you guys, through our Bible studies, we've talked about it, we've argued about it, and we've never really come to a conclusion because it's such a complicated topic. So I'm not here today to give you, you know, some scientific proof of why they're suffering, but I do want to help you and challenge you to see suffering, see hardship, and see this process in a different way that may enhance your spiritual walk with Christ. So the first point I want to share with you is where is your trust, okay? So like I say, in the process, many difficulties. We run into these kind of things. Sometimes we question, why, why is this happening? Is this going to even pan out? What's going to go on you know, tomorrow, the day after that? Is there anything worth it? Should I stick with it? Right? We get lots of questions, and most of the times we end up with questions and not answers. And so if I were to ask you right now, how many of you guys are suffering or having a hard time? Uh, you don't have to raise your hands or anything like that. It's a weird question to ask, um, but it's important to ask because when you are suffering, the question then comes to where is your trust? In the midst of your suffering, where do you put your trust? Okay? 
A lot of the times, we in, in the churches, as Christians, when we ask ourselves this question when we're suffering, we automatically say, well, of course, we go to God, right? We pray to God, we ask God for help. This is where my trust is, because God is going to pull me through, right? But what about when things are well? When your life is full of bliss and happiness, you just, you know, had a wonderful spring break, and you played all the games that you want, ate all the junk food you wanted to eat, okay? And then I ask you, where is your trust? The first thing that probably won't come to your mind, it's probably not going to be God. It's going to be, well, I mean, I guess, like, I trust myself, my mom, my dad, like, my family, my church. I don't know. But when things are good, we tend to not put our trust in God, right? When things are terrible, when things are bad, that's when we tend to go running after God. I'm sure some of you guys can relate to that. And for me, sometimes, frankly speaking, like as a pastor, sometimes that happens to me. Ministry is going great, everything. I run to the programs, like, yes, this program is great. This Bible study is wonderful. The kids are getting it. But does it come to God or does it come to the studies? Does it come to God or does it come to the program? Does it come to God or is it, does it come to the activities that we have, right? So you see, we tend to see struggle as a negative thing, right? And I talked about this before. But and I said this before as well. We are all intrinsically broken people. And we are all in need of healing and revival of some kind. And we struggle. Actually, we struggle more because of positive things, right? And what I mean by that, because we are so blinded by the good things that happen, right? Not saying that these are bad. Don't get me wrong. Good things are good, right? But we become so blinded to these things that we tend to hurt ourselves more because we lose where our trust belongs. You see, when we go through suffering, it shows where our trust really lies. It's a reminder of who do I trust in in times like this. When we experience things like suffering, it shows us also where our godlike substitutes uh, lie, where we put our trust in our God substitutes. Okay? Proverbs 18.10 uh, and 11 says, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the city, uh, the wealth of the rich in their fortified city, they imagine it a wall too high to scale. So this is a proverb. As you know, on Fridays, we've been talking about it. Uh, it's a book that tells you how, how to, how to live the good life, right? Only one person said that, okay? Or Lindsay said it too. So how to live the good life, right? So this wisdom that is being laid down here is saying this. When we seek the Lord, when we seek his character, when we seek his love, when we seek the goodness of God, we are safe, right? But when we seek our own fortified city, our own needs, our own wants, our own desires, our own God substitutes, things that are not God but kind of act like God, it's not good enough, right? You see, when we go through struggles, we are able to expose and find out where our trust lies, whether that be whatever we hide behind, right? God will tear that down, okay? Whether that be your job, your reputation, your pride, your accomplishments, your glory, whatever it may be, Whatever your fortified city looks like, whatever you hide behind, or that wall that's too high, anything else, less of that, less of God, sorry, not that, less of God will always come short, right? Now, I'm not saying that, that these things, your job, your reputation, your, you know, whatever you hide behind as your God, I'm not saying these are bad things, but if you put God, or you put those things before God, then that's when the problems come in. 
right? So we have this tendency to think that God is a genie, right? That when we have our struggles and issues in our lives, that God will come and simply clean up that mess that we've made. And I believe that in certain ways, this is very true. God does do that. He pulls through when we need it the most. We see it over and over in the Bible. And I'm sure in your own lives, that, that's a living testament as well. But through the suffering, struggle, struggles, and issues in life, God also uses it as a way to give us a wake-up call, to remind us that it is God that we serve, not ourselves. Right? When we experience difficulties and hardships, it is a reminder of our vulnerability, that it isn't about what we can do, it's about what God can do. Right? So when we are to trust the process, there are times that we might think, like, man, like, why is this happening? What in the world? Right? But I want to challenge you to try and change that perspective. And remember that when we trust the process, we, lie, we lay our trust, or where we lie our trust is so important. Right? And that trust should be put on God first, to seek the face of God, his love, his character, his purpose, his goodness. So I want to ask you to ask yourselves, where is my trust? Okay? Where do you seek or where do you go when things go downhill? What do you seek when things go uphill, right? And if it isn't God first, then I want you to reevaluate. The second point, be still, listen, and respond. And to start this point, I want to read a very commonly known story uh, in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. So I'll read it very quickly, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 10 says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call, go back and lay down. So Samuel went and he laid down. Again, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and he went to Eli and said, Eli, here I am, you called. But Eli says, my son, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not know yet the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as, the, as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, listen, or speak, for your servant is listening, right? This is such a beautiful story, and I actually wanted to use this for a different sermon, but it just seemed to fit so well in the message today. You see, when we trust the process, if we don't have this first point down of where our trust lays, if our trust is not in God, sometimes we run into moments of struggle in our life, and we question everything, right? Is God listening to me? Why is God not responding? Like, you're sending prayers, like, as you're sending text messages to your friend that's angry at you, and just like, answer me, answer me, right? But sometimes... The issue is not how often we pray to God. Sometimes the issue is, is we don't take the time to sit and simply listen to what God has to say. Sometimes we don't take the time to wait and see the response that God will give. Maybe God is calling us, 
But we're so busy sending so many prayers that we don't take the time to think, oh, maybe God is trying to speak to me through the people I meet, through the encounters that I have, through the things of nature. We don't take the time to pause and wait in our lives to see, okay, what is it that God is trying to say, right? We all think it's just a one-way direction. And if you remember the sermon I gave before about prayer, right, and fasting, prayer is not a one-way street. It's a two-way street, right? We speak to God, but God also speaks back to us. Right? And I want to add this part of responding. Right? This is an important part as well. There's a, so the message, the thing that I wanted to use as a separate sermon was something that I heard from a different preacher. Um, I was listening to this preacher speak, and he was talking about like God's calling and God speaking to us. Right? It's interesting because you see, um, we take the time to be still. Right? In our, in our Christian walk. We take the time to be still and then we listen to that still voice that God has for you and I. We take the time to hear what God has to say for us and then what we need to do is we need to respond, right? So clearly, what, is, what does uh, Samuel do? He responds by doing what? When he hears his name being called, he goes to Eli, right? He goes to Eli. But the thing is, sometimes... We speak to God. We listen. We stay still. We listen and we hear God speaking to us. And then we respond. But we respond to our Eli, right? And so what do I mean by that? You see, Samuel was so accustomed as a young boy to go to who? Eli, right? That was just the person that he went to when he heard his name. He was raised that way. He was trained that way. But as we know, it wasn't Eli calling Samuel. It was God that was calling Samuel. So sometimes, like I say, we are still. We listen, right? But then we respond to the wrong thing, okay? Thinking that whatever that thing is that's calling us, we think it's God, right? But in reality, it's not. Sometimes God is calling us. He's speaking to us. But we simply go back to the thing that we're most used to, right? We think God responds to us in the way that we think is right, but maybe God is responding back to us in a totally different way, right? You guys know what I'm saying? Like, for me, this was such a, like, mind-blowing thing to hear because we think about, like, oh, yeah, like, we hear God's calling, and then we respond in what we think is best for us. But how often do we respond back to the thing that God is calling us to, right? Something to think about, food for thought, right? And it's interesting because if we understand the context of what's going on in this story, is Eli supposed to be there for a long term? No. Eli was in the process of being moved out. So maybe the thing that you go back to, the Eli of your life, maybe it's the very thing that God is trying to get rid of, yet we still go back to. You guys get that? Like, is it just me that's like crazy about this, right? Okay. God was in the process of moving Eli out because of the wickedness of his sons and just all the chaos that was going on. It was time for Eli to move out of the temple. But in Samuel, when he heard this call, he simply went back to the very thing that God was moving out. Think about that, right? So remember that each step, you know, being still, listening, and then responding. I'm not saying that this is something like everyone has to do, right? It might be different for your case, right? Maybe the thing that you are going to is what God is calling you to. So don't get me wrong. I'm not here to like rebuke or criticize the way that you respond and pray and listen to God. This is just many, maybe like if things are not working out for you, maybe you feel discouragement. This is something that you can try and think about, okay? So the last point, from brokenness to blessing. Now, 
sometimes while we're in this process, trusting the process, we run into many roadblocks. We run into dead ends and we really feel like there's no hope, there's no chance. We feel the brokenness, the hopelessness, the helplessness and, and whatnot. But I want to remind you, there's so many times in the Bible, right, that it shows that it's never too late, that it isn't over, and that God is not done quite yet, right? And I think that's such a beautiful thing, that God never has given up on us, right? James chapter 1, verse uh, 2 to 8 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whether you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. 1 Corinthians 10.13 also says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You see, without suffering, okay, the things that we suffer and go through, I think the biggest thing that we forget is our neediness of God. Like The dependence we have on God is quickly forgotten if there is not suffering. We can become too comfortable with where we are, and that's when we reach our dead-end moments. Now, I'm not saying that you know, we need to have suffering in order for God to be good, right? We need to have evil in order for there to be good. Like, that is not what I'm trying to say, so please don't misquote me, right? But what I can, do, what I can truly 100% agree on is that w- with suffering, there is this constant understanding of our need for Christ. And that is something that we cannot erase or forget, right? It is, we see time over time again in the Bible that it's not about God inflicting these turmoils and these trials on people, right? It's not God saying, like, I'm going to give you trials. God allows the trials, but God does not give us these trials, right? And I think that was something that was really interesting as I was studying the Bible. You see a reoccurring theme throughout church and through the Bible. In the church, we think that it's God that will put you through trials, right? But I want you to think a different way. That rather than God is putting trials on you, giving you these trials on a golden platter, that God is simply allowing these trials to happen. And as we allow these trials to happen in our lives, it is an opportunity for us to look at it as not a discouragement and and you're done and out, but rather an opportunity for us to understand and remember the need that we have for Christ. When the bad times come around, I want to challenge us as a church, right? I want to challenge us as a church to come and look at them as ways that we can trust the process, that we can understand that in the end, God will be the victor. God will be victorious, and God will continue to pour out his love for us as long as we are willing and able to understand the process. When we see the bad things in our life happen, when we experience brokenness, when we experience hurt, when we see roadblocks that get in our way in our Christian walk, rather than seeing them as opportunities to give up, but rather seeing them as opportunities to draw closer to God. 
so that we can allow God to create blessings out of the brokenness in our life. And as you guys know, as I preach about all the time, like one of my passion topics is brokenness in itself. Because the ideal of brokenness, of how God can use a broken person like me, the story that I've had, and hopefully I can have an opportunity to talk with all of you guys on a more personal level and be able to be vulnerable and open up to you about how God has taken the brokenness of my life and turned it into a blessing for me, for the people around me. I, I just, man, words cannot explain clearly how powerful God works when we allow the brokenness of our lives to become a blessing that God can use for his good. So I want to challenge you today. The three points. The first one, where is your trust? The second one, be still, listen, and respond. And three, from brokenness to blessing. I challenge us as a church to learn to trust the process that we are all on as brothers and sisters in Christ, to see the glory, the goodness, and the love that God has for each and every one of us. I pray that uh, this is um, the challenge that we can take up as a church, uh, to trust the process. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.